So welcome everyone to the Football Evolution Project. Today we're joined by Stefan Dizan, uh, who's going to have a discussion with us about how to implement a strength and conditioning program into your football programs. So thanks Stefan for joining us. Uh, can you get us started by just talking us through your sporting journey and what eventually led to the creation of your company? Yeah, no worries. Um, thanks for having me on, Christian. Um, yeah, I'll just touch on my sort of where I'm at and sort of how I got to um, what I'm doing. So obviously being involved in team sport pretty much all my life. Um, went all lucky enough to go to a school that obviously was pretty indebted to sport and a different sort of team sport. So I played, uh, I was involved in footy, probably most of, or well, Australian rules footy, um, most of my sort of youth growing up and then a bit, um, through my teenage years into, I'd say probably just a few years of senior was um, senior sport. Throughout my sort of studies, I did some um, work with some sub elite. So I worked with the Northern Blues in, in um, the VFL competition, and that followed on to doing some work with Western Bulldogs, um, working with their SNC programs, so working with them in the gym, and then obviously did an honours year there as well. So I researched did some research into velocity-based training. So just a sort of particular area um, in SNC. But yeah, so then from there, I've always had an idea that I'd like to, or had this ideology of like um, wanting to start my own sort of thing and maybe working with athletes of my own. So yeah, that's um, got me to where I am now. So I've got my own, let's say, athlete sort of strength and conditioning business. So yeah, I'm working with um, sub elite, amateur and youth athletes awesome. and obviously yeah doing some work at um mary mead with their athletes as well so awesome and doing some great work there as well definitely um so i guess in an ideal world what would you say a an effective strength and conditioning program would look like in a football environment yeah so um personally i think it's something that's um just a well-rounded sort of program, something that um, obviously it, it is a tough thing at times where you have coaches, um, some coaches are more advocates for it, some are sort of against it. So I wouldn't say against it, but some are um, maybe want to spend some more time on their sort of stuff. So having a, just a program that's sort of um, sufficient for all and um, everyone's on the same sort of page and um, one that sort of, constitutes growth but also builds autonomy with with the athletes as well as the coaches so someone just a well-rounded program that sort of addresses all aspects of high performance training um and yeah something that the coaches can buy into as well i'd say yeah if that answers so, does that sort of yeah yeah so uh, i that, guess yeah. um if we sort of look a little bit more specifically what are the sort of key parts of the program so i mean we're talking you know things like pre-activations warm-ups uh, testing yep. etc so what do you what do you see as, as i guess the ideal setup of that and what's included um, yeah so as i talk well-rounded so that could be um constitution of um, obviously mobility work activation work um testing pre-testing post-testing and then obviously implementing a program that's going to give you the best um, chance to perform on field so um yeah things can vary um obviously you want your players to to obviously know or be competent in their mobility and their movement. Um, you also want them to be strong um, 
and powerful to perform on the field, but also build resilience to injury. So, yeah, it could be, um, or it probably will be something that covers, obviously, mobility, strength, speed, power, recovery, and sort of treatment if you've got access to those things as well. So that's what I mean by well-rounded. So something that maybe not focused particularly on one more than the other, but maybe just um, something that, especially at like local and sub-elite level, something that is, is well-rounded in all those areas. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah no, makes sense. Um, so I guess you, you mentioned testing there, um, and it's, it's sort of one of those things that we talk about a little bit. Um, and what, what would you say is the most relevant test that we could, we could use in a football environment that I guess if we keep in mind the, the cost implications of some, some higher end tests, but um, what, what would you say are yeah. the main couple that, that you think would be important uh, as a way of testing players? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, Christian. Um, obviously, yeah, there's different sort of, technologies and sort of things you can delve into or use to help um, obviously test the person's, whether it be speed, power, um, strength. Um, yeah, I'd, depending on what you're looking for, what you're gonna test, so things would vary. Um, could be, if you're looking at testing your aerobic capacity, it could be something as simple as 2K run or a yo-yo test. Um, something that's going to test obviously your strength could be in the gym um obviously looking at maybe something around your one rm so um, could be a bench press or a max pull up um obviously you can do your speed testing so your 40 meter dash if you want to call it that or 20 meter sprint um which basically can be set up with cones and a stopwatch if you don't have sort of the funding to to invest in sort of um, gates um yeah, just depending on what sort of tests you you sort of or what the coaches want to see results in, um, there's always all, there's always a cost-effective sort of process. So yeah, I think I'd probably narrow it down to um, what you want to get out of your test. So if it's aerobic capacity, if it's muscular strength, it's muscular power, and then there's obviously different tests to sort of tick those off. Yeah. So and yeah, that's how I'd start. So yeah. So obviously um, there'd be one round of testing during pre-season. So. Uh, but apart from that, how often do you think it would be? Uh, how often do you think it'd be a good idea to retest? Retest, okay. So yeah, so I'd obviously conduct tests right at the start of the season to see um, where everyone's sort of at, um, and then I'd do a follow-up test maybe after they've completed a block of training, or maybe after they've come up. Just say, so I'll probably break it up into maybe a better example. So players finish their season, right? They'll have a time off period where they obviously can rest, but should be doing some sort of training. So when they get back to their first day of training, obviously pre-season, you could conduct some tests then. Um, then you could do some follow-up tests. I'd say like maybe after a Christmas period where they've also given them some time to go away and complete the training you've given them. So you could do a test then, and then you could even do it if you want to do a test before the season um, on their abilities. I think in season, it's probably a bit of a touchy sort of thing, whereas you're obviously playing games, um, fatigue and recovery is a big thing there. So I don't know, um, yeah. results might be a bit skewed in that sort of context. So yeah, I'd say probably start a, start a pre-season, maybe mid, mid pre-season and then towards maybe the end of pre-season. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 
Um, and I guess realistically in the senior coaching environment, you're only seeing your players maybe two or three times per week plus, plus a match day. So, I mean, as a coach personally, um, I want to spend as much time on the tactical yeah, side yeah. of the game as you can imagine. So what do you think that is the best way of including a strength and conditioning program while also not detracting from the time spent on the park? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very good one. I think that's the main thing um, coaches sort of want to do. They obviously want to look at the tactical um, sort of aspect and get as much time as they want with them. Um, as I touched on earlier, it probably comes down to obviously communicating with the coaches and having coaches that obviously value S and C. Um, so that's obviously come a lot down to sort of communication. You and the coaches could meet up obviously prior to the season or, or the sessions or whatever it may be. And then obviously try and work in collaboration um, during training. So I don't know, it might mean um, you have a designated time slot for S&C work during training, um, whether that be at a 10 minute block before you start after your warm up, um, or it could mean maybe you split up the groups, um, your team in different groups and they literally do a rotating system. Um, where, yeah, maybe the S&C coaches have a 10 minute block or whatever it may be, then that would follow on to a different coach. And then, yeah, sort of like a rotating system, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then there's obviously always stuff. <laughs> there's always stuff you can do at home. Like, um, yeah, depending on what the player wants to get out of their, their bodies and sort of their potential, there's always, you can be doing extras at home. Um, yeah, recovery sort of things, uh, diet sort of thing. It's, it's pretty much endless, but... I think in a team environment, communication is key to um, a sort of successful program. Yeah, yeah, and I like what, what you say about you know giving players things to do when they're at home when they're not at training because from my point of view that that's you know a, a perfect opportunity for them. Um, not to say that that there isn't time in, in the sessions, but when yeah. they're not at training, definitely. Um, so we we talk uh, you know when we're talking about strength and conditioning, a lot of times we can you know look at the the top of the range, most expensive equipment to get results. But obviously in a, in a local environment, you know, where, where you might have a, a cash strap club, what would you say are maybe two or three relatively inexpensive pieces of equipment that could be implemented or utilized to lift the standard of the strength and conditioning program? Similar to what I said before, it sort of comes back to what you want to get out of that session or what you're trying to work on. But, what I've got, what I've got is obviously just like some warm-up bands, like maybe some therabands, just do some activation work, um, coinciding with sort of a foam roller. I think some a lot of people in, in the industry are pro foam rolling, or they don't sort of um, believe in it or that sort of thing. I think, I think, yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a grey area, but I feel like it, there is a bit of use. I think maybe in terms of actually putting the onus back on the player and like getting them to buy into your sort of program. So if they know um, they've got 10 minutes to warm up, they need a foam roll, do some mobility work, those sort of things. Um, I think it builds autonomy with them. So I'd yeah, throw a foam roll in there if you want to throw, throw that in. And then maybe just some basic sort of ladder work, um, some ladders and yeah, some sort of resistant band sort of things. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, just invest in your coaches. That's what, yeah. that's what, that's what I'm going to say. If they're um, cheap enough. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, if that, yeah. It's, it's a 
yeah, I hope that hopefully that answers it for you. But yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, uh, obviously, it, it comes down to to what the what we're looking for as outcomes and and all that. So I think answered it quite well. So obviously, injury prevention is a massive part of what you do in strength and conditioning. What do you see as some of the major contributors to injuries, particularly in young players? I feel like we're seeing more injuries for younger players than we may have previously. Um, so yep. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, yeah, this was another one I was thinking about. I, was, I didn't sort of was thinking in terms of my experiences and sort of the, the youth athletes I work with or even the athletes that I've sort of spent some time with coming through the ranks. Um, um, things that sort of popped into my mind, I don't know if you've, you've probably seen similar sort of things, I'd say probably kids coming into to school or, or some kids in your PE classes coming from, from injuries from the weekends, I'd say um, big things in terms like, I'd say ankle sprains would be a, a very common one. So obviously um, kids rolling their ankles due to maybe they're, they're landing incorrectly or just through... Um, maybe yeah, rolling over your ankle through some sort of, um, I don't know, some, some motion that your, your body shouldn't have been in. Um, I'll say more impact injuries as well. So I'd see like broken bones, um, maybe like collarbones, arms. Gee, I haven't seen too many broken legs like in my sort of time, but yeah, I guess that sort of could happen as well. Um, so yeah, any maybe contact sport or, if you want to put extreme sport in there where they're like they're going to at risk of sort of high speed collisions um so probably broken bones and then the other sort of areas maybe you sort of overuse sort of injuries um where kids probably want to get the best out of themselves um i know myself growing up i probably fell into this sort of carrier i don't know if you were the same where you're trying to push yourself um or try to get the best out of your body but you probably were actually training too much. So then you come, well, a common thing comes up, like your tendonitis sort of issues, um, issues with your tendons and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah it's having a, a, and then I think at that age, you don't really understand the concept of um, recovery and not, not um, overreaching your body or overtraining. Um, so it's sort of, yeah, sort of, if you want to train hard, um, train hard, but know when to do it and sort of, don't excessively um, maybe put strain or stress on your body that you don't need to be doing. Yeah, so, and, and yeah would, that's oh, just on that, would you say that that um, it's okay to train hard as long as you get that, that correct rest period in? Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, not getting too technical, we can, um, so there's obviously a, a time or period where you can sort of overreach and maybe, um, increase your training loads and your and your ability to find that window where you can sort of train harder um but obviously yeah it could also be detrimental if you're not getting the right advice or no one's really there to sort of guide you through it um but yeah these over, overuse injuries can and are pretty common because kids or or youth athletes are probably doing excessive amounts of load bearing um exercise yeah. and and that sort of thing so yeah, it's a it's a very fine line, and it's hard. It's a hard sort of area to to get right. But um, I think with the right guidance and sort of um, right knowledge, or being in contact with the right people, I think you can sort of optimize performance. Um, yeah, 
with your athletes. I think, yeah. yeah, you'd probably see it as well. Like kids, I think you get those kids that obviously want to sort of aspire to make it and ones that want to push themselves yeah. or continually try hard, even like in your PE classes and your sport classes, but they're playing um, representative football, they're playing local footy and they're playing school footy. Like it's just, um, it's not always, yeah, sometimes it's just too much on the body. So yeah, yeah. Further on to the point of, of injuries, um, we seem to be seeing a lot of uh, knee injuries, such as ACL tests, particularly in female players. Now, what would you say are the best ways to prevent these types of injuries? Because we're not, you know we're losing we're losing quality players for you know twelve yeah. months at a time. There's a correlation between participation rates and sort of the injuries going up, but it's obviously does come down to um, it's a multitude of sort of factors i wouldn't say it's like one more than the other but um things like being unprepared for your sport um, maybe lacking strength around the structures of your knee um for example so that puts it at risk of um sort of injury um in terms of teaching them proper sort of athletic mechanics so helping them or teaching them how to land properly so um so it reduces risk of of their valgus knee, so their knees rolling in, which is a big risk factor in ACL injuries. Um, so yeah, sort of maybe having a base of or structure of a strength program, um, then also teaching them why it's effective and how how it can be implemented or used to prevent injuries like an ACL. Yeah, yeah. So and I guess the other side of it of it is, you know, we're we're always going to have some sort of injuries there. So what would you say is a good couple or, or even just one protocol that should be followed turn from an injury um let's just say it's a lower limb sort of injury yeah well definitely comes down to sort of the injury and and sort of the um the type of injury and maybe the extent of it um obviously more injuries that are probably on the worst end of the, the spectrum probably going to take longer to recover um how i've structured in the past or sort of collaborated to get one um, going, depending on the injury, obviously, um, is to have a stage-by-stage -stage process to, to return to play. So we call it return to play program. So um, basically you may have a four-stage um, setup or, or protocol to follow before the player is actually returning to the field. So early stages, um, depending on the injury, maybe a, a big hamstring tear or, or calf strain or whatever maybe one of those soft tissue injuries stage one could be just getting some mobility back in there some blood flow spending some time on some isometric exercises and then as the stage progresses obviously progress them accordingly to a sufficient place where they can obviously deal with the load um, come game day so i think there's a lot of or well, a lot of sort of people at the sub elite level are probably rushing rushing themselves back to sort of get get back on the field and help their team perform, but really they're probably at risk of spending more time on the sidelines because they haven't probably ticked the relevant boxes. So yeah, it comes down to probably an education sort of thing. Um, probably just knowing or spending some time with someone that knows something in that area, especially if it's a big injury. But yeah, there's always, there's always a, a method to the madness, I'd say. So mm -hmm. having a system in place for sure um, is yeah. going to go a long way in, in that longevity of the, player yeah and so so what you you're saying i guess is that it's you know it's okay to have a protocol but it's important to 
to actually tailor it to that specific athlete and um, look where they're at. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's look. There's no protocol that's set in stone or, or certain stages that are going to be like this is what you have to tick off. But I think if you have a general sort of stage or where you want your athlete to be at, obviously every case can be different. Um, recovery rates are going to change depending on the athlete. Um, there's obviously going to be different variables there. But yeah, I think having a, a, a general guideline or or sort of um, boxes that you want to tick before they go to different stages or return to play or whatever it may be. Yeah, you can't just sort of treat the injury as the injury and, and misperceive what the athletes or how they're recovering or how they might adhere to training. Like some athletes may, may excel through it and they might get back quicker than others or as some may take longer. It just depends yeah. really individually on the person. Yeah. But yeah, I think a lot of it comes down, as I've said before, is communication, two-way communication is always, always a good thing. Yeah. So I guess moving on to sort of a di different area, um, when we look at male and female athletes, they are obviously physiologically different. So how do you think this should affect uh, the way a program looks? Uh, and I guess to be a little bit more specific, what areas would you put as a focus for female athletes in comparison to male athletes? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, we are definitely um, different physiologically. So just some of the differences, um, obviously ladies are more, um, are more elastic to men. So they obviously got more range of motion in those sort of joint areas, which, which always isn't a, a good thing. Um, it makes them in some circumstances more susceptible to injury. Um, so factoring that in, factoring um, yeah, sort of the genetic makeup in terms of maybe their power, their speed, their strength obviously isn't always different to men. Spending a lot of time around sort of learning, learning specific um, exercises or proper technique in certain exercises that's going to help build structure around those joints. Um, and then also a lot of things around landing mechanics, um, teaching them how to land obviously how to absorb and produce force effectively. It's obviously going to, yeah, it's going to differ. It's going to differ between men, but obviously, yeah, it comes down to sort of the individual and sort of the needs of the client or, or athlete at that time as well. So yes, there's physiological, dif physiological differences. Um, to a certain extent, that's going to change your program. Um, yes, it will. But also being mindful of, of the athlete and maybe yeah. not. Um, yeah, they're in, they're an individual person as well. So not maybe having a one fits all approach either. That makes sense. Is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess one of the other things that that you didn't didn't mention there, but we'll sort of brush on it now is that I mean through through a lot of my reading, I've I've found that there's a lot of research that clearly shows that men are more explosive in their movements than 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 women. Can we have a few specific examples of, of how you could put a focus onto that explosivity for female athletes. Yeah. So obviously men um, have more, I'd say, lean muscle mass. So mus lean muscle mass produces or is advocate for building power and strength and explosiveness. So obviously if a person's more powerful or strong um, in producing force, um, they're going to obviously be, be able to increase their speed. Um, so, yeah, it comes down to sort of, um, I think, the technical aspect as well. So, obviously, they're gonna, 
females are going to um, sort of get get competent, get stronger with their lifts in the gym, but also technicalities. Um, obviously, teaching them sort of the right running mechanics and acceleration techniques can also go a long way. So yeah, it's sort of having a rounded concept around that sort of thing. So combination of um, some strength, power, speed work in the gym, and then um, yeah, some technicality sort of acceleration work on the field, bit of change of direction, um, agility work as well. I'd say yeah. that, yeah, it's obviously the big difference males are, through their genetic makeup, they're stronger, so they're able to produce um, power and, and force more excessively than females. But having that said, there is yeah, there are some quite powerful, um, strong and and quick female athletes out there. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a it's not a it's sort of a, a different sort of approach, uh, not a different, a well-rounded sort of thing there as well. If you want to maximize yeah. your speed, um, yeah. So I guess is that is yeah. that around the yeah, no, that, that's um, it's a great answer. So, I mean, and I think it's a really important thing that we just sort of touched on with that, that, you know, that acceleration's the difference between getting the ball and not getting the ball. Um, so, really, I think there's a lot more in that, but we'll, we'll leave that one there um, and yeah. move on to our, to our to next question. And I guess my next question is sort of around the idea of periodization. So, I guess first thing is we hear a lot about it. We we're sometimes looking at it even with uh, even co coaching content and obviously it's a massive part of strength and conditioning. What are your thoughts on it? Um, and I guess, could you just run us through a quick you know, explanation of, of what it actually is as well? Yeah. So periodization is obviously the, the structured programming of sort of a, a plan to try and put, to put together to achieve obviously a common goal. So, common periodization will see obviously an incline in training or training load to increase your adaptation to the training, which is obviously going to transfer to your um, given sport or whatever that may be, um, maybe competition coming up. So general consensus with the periodization plan is obviously it's pretty much a plan to help you perform coming into competition. So how I usually do it or what, um, sort of learnt to do over the years is um, determine when the competition or when the start of the game or when the season sort of starts. Um, so obviously get some dates down and, and sort of look at a time period there and then obviously work your way backwards, if that makes sense. So, yeah, you can break it. I'll get some tech, technicals so you can start with your, they call it your, your preparation phase, which can be broken up into like two sections, your general prep phase, um, with your specific prep phase. So that's more or less building a sort of base in your training. So obviously looking at some more hypertrophy, a bit more volume, sort of building that base for the season, I'd say. And then you'd be coming into more, your sort of competitive phase, so getting ready to compete. So your pre-competitive phase and, and obviously competitive phase where your pre-competitive phase will obviously consist of, if it's team-based sport, a lot more um, around sort of your power base or acceleration sort of works, really priming that athlete to um, to explode out onto the ground and, and really get those adaptations there. And then you come into your competition phase where um, obviously players are playing games and so be mindful of that. Soreness levels or fatigue levels are going to be higher. Recovery rates are going to be long um, needed for longer. So 
your training load um, and your demands obviously going to come come down during your season, mm-hmm. and then which follows into a transition period, which is essentially your off your off um, your off season. So yeah, yeah, yeah. If I could so, suggest something, yeah, it's sort of work your way backwards is probably your, mm-hmm. your starting point. I'd say yeah, yeah, and. Obviously, there's a point where the workload's got to drop off prior to, let's say, the first game of the season. So, yeah. how, what sort of time period do you think is a reasonable time period to start dropping off the work- workload? Yeah. So, the old uh, taper phase, <laughs> they call it. Um, yeah. So, obviously, tapering for your competition. Um, so, you're obviously not taking those heavy loads into game day or, or the start of the season. So, I'd probably... Depending on the sport, they're obviously going to vary. I'd say um, probably a two to three week window I'd, I'd, I'd give yourself um, before obviously commencement. Because you obviously um, don't want to be going into the week of a game or the week of competition sore or coming in fatigued off a big block of training. Um, you want to give yourself, yeah, they call it a taper phase. So just some time to to let your body settle and recover and, and obviously perform optimally coming into that, that time yeah. period. Yeah. And I guess the, the next part of it is in season, would you say that during the season, particular, we're just, I mean, just looking at the strength and conditioning side of things, um, yeah. that you would have blocks uh, of training where you would increase the workload and drop off and increase, or would you say it's just a consistent flow throughout the season? No, I'd say there's definitely times where you can overreach. So that means um, there's a bit of a fall-off period where you can sort of increase your load, increase your intensity um, to an extent or a time period that allows you. Um, but that could drastically sort of go wrong if you get it wrong. So I'd say if there's a break in season or there's a time period where there's a buy or there's a a layoff period mid-season is probably your time to overreach. So you can probably push your players a bit more. By overreach, I mean, um, yeah, obviously pushing your players a bit more in that time period because you know you're going to have a calculated rest um, after that period of sort of pushing yourself, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah I think mid-season, if you've got a two-week buy or one, a one-week buy, um, there's your time where you can sort of build up your load, get that get that volume in, get that intensity in and then recover because you know you've got a rest coming up. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's coming down to obviously the coach knowing players, knowing um, sort of how they've responded to training in the past, knowing their level of sort of competency with their movement and obviously their, um, yeah, their, their sort of bodies. But, yeah, that's something that comes down to sort of coaches. I think there's a... I think still at local local levels, um, a fair bit that I've sort of experienced is that coaches just feel like they have to smash you all the time, and that's going to get the best out of you. But um, it's probably doing actually probably worse things for you if that if that sort of makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, me growing up, I think that was a common sort of thing. Whereas if you didn't play well, or you didn't sort of get the result you wanted, you'd, you'd probably spend a big week on the track. Um, yeah. And it could have, could have been coming off a wet game or a game that where the ball's on the ground all the time and, and sort of the impact is high. So yeah. I think that just runs at a puts your players at a higher risk of injury because they're obviously overtraining. Um, so, yeah, just knowing when to overreach, uh, when to regress things, 
But yeah, it sort of comes down to that open communication between the players and the coach. So openly communicating how you're feeling. Um, you know, it was a tough game. Maybe we'll spend two more days recovering as opposed to one. Or the game, we sort of went better in our game than we expected. Our training loads weren't, or our game day loads weren't as high. We can sort of push a bit more this week. Um, yeah. yeah, it's sort of just knowing those indicators. Um, I think, yeah, in the elite field, it makes it a bit easier because you've got sort of GPS units and sort of indicators to show um, the amount of running that's taken place um, and yeah. the speed of it. So I think it is tough at local sort of level to to get a gauge in that. That's where sort of trust and yeah, communication between. Yeah, you know, as and I, I guess just on that, I mean, we've talked we've talked mainly about local level and um, and you just mentioned GPS units and um, I just want to just yep. a quick one on that. Um, obviously, yep. if you if you've got the opportunity to to use GPS units, you're pretty lucky, but. Just, just say we get some some GPS data. What, firstly, what things we're looking for, and secondly, um, just say we've got uh, some sort of reading of what a hundred percent looks like. Yeah. How do, how would you use that in training? And just say we've got a, a heavy day on the track. Um, what is that that highest workload? Is it eighty percent of, of match day, or is it hundred percent of match day? Um, yeah, just give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. I'll just um, I'll give you, I'll, yeah, I'll give you a general sort of thing. So, obviously, GPS has measured sort of. I'd say there's two big parameter parameters there. So you're looking at obviously the amount you're doing. So your total, your total distance covered. So TD. Um, so it could be in in excess. I know some of the, the midfielders in AFL man, probably clocking up like 14, 12 to fourteen k a game. Um, so your total distance, and then it comes down to your, your speed. So they call it your V6, which is um, your speed that you've, the amount of high speed efforts you've sort of clocked up in that V6 period um, on, a, on a GPS unit. So research sort of suggests that your higher speed sort of athletes or players that hit that, that consistent um, repeat efforts at a high speed are obviously more likely to, to break down with injury. So having that said with your total distance um they all can be used as markers to obviously increase training or regress it depending on um yeah obviously what's happened during a game or what's happened during training so essentially giving you that's a tool used to make informed decisions i'd say in in terms of your training and your your match day loads and that sort of thing so yeah it's a really good it's a handy device um as a coach to, to use because um, you're getting that it's not just some subjective you're actually getting some good data there around even like who's working hard who's not working so hard during a game so yeah, yeah i'd say speed speed and total distance are the two big ones um, yeah and and i guess if we're talking total distance just say just say let's give it a nice easy round number 10 k's they've covered in a game yeah. um how how does that impact the training and let's just say 10k's is that average um that we've got from a you know a number of games data and players and all that when i'm putting together a training session do i want them to go 8k's in that session on a heavy day and maybe on a light one they're doing four or five k's or or how, how do we bring that into training i think in season in season you're depending on your um the position the players playing so Obviously, a midfielder may maybe maybe doing ten k's a, a, a game, or 
a goalkeeper maybe doing one or not even, do you know what I mean? So it's sort of, I'd say, get a gauge on, on sort of what's happening in your training sessions, what, what sort of mileage they're clocking up and then seeing some, seeing some, or getting some feedback from the player. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, in season, I wouldn't be spending too much time on getting that total distance up. Whereas they're probably getting it throughout their drills anyway. And they come game day, as I said before, you want them fresh to, to sort of perform. So if you know it's during your season or last, you looked at your last year's data and you're seeing midfielders are hitting 10Ks consistently during the, um, on the weekend, I'd say, okay, have that in mind. So pre-season, we want our players to hit a total distance of 10Ks obviously or, or be able to perform at that level. So that's where your pre-season block will come into play where um, just say three weeks out from a game, four weeks out from the first game, we want our players um, hitting that 10K mark. How do we do this? We work back from that. So for example, I don't know, the 10th of July, we want our players hitting 10K and then you'll work your way backwards all the way to the first session of yeah. pre-season. That no. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas during during season, I wouldn't spend too much time on actually conditioning the players to get to that total total distance because they're going to get it in their games anyway. So yeah, essentially your sense. time, yeah, your time during the season should be spent um, on obviously recovery and then more your technical sort of aspects and just preparing for the game as such. Yeah. Whereas preseason gives you a time. Yeah, preseason gives you a time to sort of build that volume up. Yeah. Does that, yeah. No. Yeah, does no, that makes sense. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Because no, you don't want you don't want to be doing you don't want your players to be doing too much during the week. Yeah. No. Definitely. Um. So we've talked a lot about you know the senior level. Um. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on where strength and conditioning fits at a junior level. Um. So, what does strength and conditioning look like at that at that younger age? Um. And what what age groups would you would you recommend implementing certain parts of that? Obviously, it's not it, we're you know we're not going to implement a full strength and conditioning program that we put in for a senior team with the yeah. younger age. But where what would we do? Yeah. So yeah. So youth youth um, athletic development's a big area. I feel like it's an area that's really starting to grow and take off as more sort of knowledge behind it or sort of education um, is coming out about it. So there's obviously a direct correlation with obviously resistance training in youth um, and how it's improving obviously players' muscular strength, muscular endurance, power, um, even balance and stability and those sort of things. So there is direct correlation with obviously time spent um, in strength conditioning in the gym and then that obviously translating on field, no dis, no dissimilar to obviously older adults or athletes that are a bit older. Um, obviously, mental health is a big one. Obviously, can help with your mental health, confidence, sort of building that confidence um, from a mental sort of perspective as well. So, and then yeah, your robust the resilience to injury. You're obviously going to be the stronger you are, the more innate ability you're going to have to. To absorb force and and sort of um, build resilience to that, which is obviously going to reduce your inju- injury risk in in not only the short term but the long term as well. So um, I think there's a lot of misconception around maybe kids not doing um, strength training or or getting involved in in it because 
there's that connotation of it stunts your growth and those sort of things. I think, um, yes, if you potentially are doing um, stupid amounts or crazy amounts of weights or doing them in the correct manner, they can have a, a detrimental effect to obviously your body and, and sort of it's, it's the way it grows. But I think um, yeah, if you're in a structured environment, um, working with a person that knows or has dealt with kids or has a, a good, um, good knowledge around obviously strength conditioning and, and how they can coach and implement it. I think um, it's definitely an area that, that I'd say can be or should be sort of um, yeah, delved into. So, yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah. just on that, I know, I know from a coaching point of view, um, the worry is, you know, you you got kids and you're trying to teach them the game, and and you want to give them as much time in the park um, as possible, and and then at the same time, you hear, um, as you say, all those all those uh, horror stories of uh, stunted growth yeah. and and this and that. Um, yeah. But I think what you do highlight there is it's really important. Um, to get the right people in to put together a program like that as well. Um, but it, but it is yeah. important. And, and I think, as you say, it's a good foundation for them when they get to that, that senior level as well. Yeah. And it's just, um, I think with kids as well, like you, you got to sort of make it fun with them and get buy-in with them. So I think you're obviously going to treat sort of your, your aspiring athletes a bit different to maybe your younger athletes. Having that said, you, you want them, all your athletes to sort of, enjoy what you're doing and and not hate it as well because it probably can get a bit monotonous for them but just realizing that they are kids and, and they are young and they need that sort of interaction and that fun as well so yeah yeah, yeah. no definitely so last couple of questions here we've had, i think it's been a really really good discussion we've covered a lot of a lot of areas so i guess the big question is and if you could put into just a couple of couple of points what are the yeah. advantages of implementing a successful strength and conditioning program yeah so obviously there's a big one obviously the correlation as i've touched in before the, the ability to sort of produce force in terms of like your speed acceleration off the mark your ability to absorb force so um being able to to obviously i've said it before like land correctly or absorb force from other people um so obviously being stronger in your movement um and then yeah, your resilience to injury. So just obviously the stronger you are, the more robust you're gonna be, um, the less inclined you're gonna be to get injured in terms of, could be soft tissue, could be even impact injuries. Um, yeah, so there's, there's plenty of sort of research there around that's those sort of things. Um, there's yeah, different factors of how they can help and why they can help, um, could be just, getting the best day of performance. Like you, like you said before, you want, you may want to pass to your opponent, you may want to chase down your opponent to score or whatever that may be. Um, yeah. These are all successful things that the S and C program could sort of offer you. And if done correctly, yeah, they're the benefits that you can see. Yeah. And I guess from a bit of my own reading, I've, there's been a number of different studies showing the correlation between a lack of injuries and success for teams. So I think, if not anything else, that 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 should just show the, the importance of it. Um, yeah. So, final question: um, going back onto your business, uh, SDSC, I believe. Um, yeah. What sort of programs do you run there, and and how can people get involved? Yeah. So, 
um, I run a, diff- a number of different things. So I've got my sort of sort of one-on-one um, sort of sessions that I can run with people that are interested in maybe a bit more individualized sort of training. Um, it's probably a good, good way to start out in terms of teaching them um, sort of what I expect from them or what they sort of um, need, to, need to learn to sort of build that foundation. That going on to some semi-private sessions that it's I really find fun because you get that buy-in. Um, it's more of like your two to three to one, one coach. So obviously me builds that sort of competition, that competitive spirit between the clients. Um, and you get that buy-in and a bit of banter and those sort of things. So that's another thing I offer. And then that comes into our sort of our youth athlete sort of area that we've really started to expand on. So um, providing a platform as we sort of said earlier, for youth to get involved in structured strength conditioning that is obviously teaching them the right things from a young age and giving them all, not just teaching them um, obviously about strength conditioning and how it can help their performance. So, yeah, yeah, they're the sort of things or that's where I'm sort of at at the moment. Um, but, yeah, the youth sort of, the youth areas have really starting to come on nicely it's very really starting to develop so yeah. it just comes down to i think educating sort of everyone whether it be parents or, or the student themselves or the athlete themselves about the pros um in getting involved in a program like that so yeah yeah um if you if you want to learn more or interested in, in sort of seeing what that's all about um we've got some social media if you want to jump on my instagram um, it's at double underscore SDSC, um, double underscore again, or you can just simply um, jump on my Facebook, which is SDSC. That's it. So you, yeah, you get probably get more of an insight there. No, that's it. And Stephanie's doing some great work. So I really encourage anyone who's listening and thought, oh, you know, what more can I do to, to get in touch? Um, so thanks again, Stephen, for joining us. I'm hoping um, this sort of gets the conversation going about how to to implement a strength and conditioning program and and all that so thanks again Stefan, for joining us and i'm sure we'll talk soon no worries man thanks thanks